welcome to Empress Podcast, a resource for intersectional feminists who want to change the world. My name is Chanel Peterson, soon to be Chanel Javon. My pronouns are she and her, and I am so infinitely grateful to have you here listening today. In today's episode, you get to know Victoria Alexander. Victoria, pronouns she and they, with the preference for they, are a non-binary creator, writer, and period slash reproductive health expert. I ask a ton of questions that I personally have, like, can you fold all menstrual cups in different ways? And why, as a 26-year-old woman, have I not yet gotten control of the emotional side of having a period? And we even talk about reviving plants using period blood and why there aren't more birth control options for men. Before I introduce you to Victoria, I wanted to give you a fun fact about menstrual cups. If you didn't know, you'll definitely learn in this episode that I love my menstrual cup, even though I just recently started using it. And I recently learned that a study in 2011 conducted by Canadian physicians revealed that more than 90% of women who tried menstrual cups liked them so much that they would recommend them to fellow menstruators. So in an effort to cut down waste, help the planet, uh, save some money, I kind of hope that this episode encourages you to get a menstrual cup. Or if you don't menstruate, I hope that this conversation ignites a fire within you to advocate for free menstrual products for people who do menstruate. So please join me in welcoming Victoria Alexander to the podcast. Thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us on Empress Podcast. It's so good to have you. I'm excited to be here. My first question for you is, what change do you wish to see in the world? I think that overall in the world, I just like to see everybody of every gender having equality, which at the end of the day is what feminism stands for. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of room to grow with that. We've had a lot of growth in the past year, years, decades, but I think that's ultimately the big picture that I'd like to see. Absolutely. Love that. And you're doing the work for that. Like you're being the change in the world. Please tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. They're going to love you. So I'm very, so just brag. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I'm a reproductive health educator, period coach, and queer business owner that is fighting for menstrual equity. So I kind of started out in the period world um, after going to school for science, studying anatomy, physiology, pathology, um, and then kind of branched into childbirth and reproductive health education because I realized so many of us did not learn about our periods and our bodies in school. And, you know, the health system really has failed a lot of us. And not knowing what's going on with our body isn't good. So I really wanted to change that and bring, you know, accessible information to that. And I thought social media is a great way to do that. So I kind of started out by just providing information to people um, and then realized, you know, this is like a job I could do. I could pursue more education in you know, periods and reproductive health and sex education. 
Um, so I really just branched into that. And now I talk online about periods and sex. And, um, you know, as I kind of branched into that, learning more about menstrual equity and period poverty was something that really sparked something me learning that like overall one in three people will experience period poverty at some point in their life meaning that they can't afford or access period products was really upsetting um so then i started a little feminist clothing line where for every item purchased a box of period products is donated um so that's kind of in a nutshell what i do um overall i just want to help anybody with a uterus to better understand their body and feel empowered in what's going on in their choices Oh, I love that. And just right there, I caught inclusive language, anyone with a uterus. So like um, for the listeners, um, you know, some people might think like, oh, saying uterus is so crass and bold, but no, like literally like that's who we're talking to. So that's who we need to address. Totally. And I think body literacy is also very important as well. So using those terms and saying it how it is, is definitely beneficial. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, another big one uh, that is really easy when we're talking about menstruation is just saying menstruators. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important, um, again, for anyone listening, that's like, this is totally new to them, maybe the concept of inclusive language. Um, important to remember that it's not just that we're wanting to include, say, non-binary people or transgender men that may have a period, but also remembering that not all women have periods, whether they are transgender women or a cisgender woman who has had a hysterectomy or maybe has like PCOS or endometriosis or a condition that causes them to not have a period. Um, it's really important to separate biological functions from gender because they don't go hand in hand. Absolutely. And, um, you know, something that I really, really loved yesterday that I actually posted on my Instagram story is um, there was um, two gay fathers and one of them was a trans man and he was pregnant and they had this beautiful um tiktok series um where they showed this trans man pregnant and and then going uh to the hospital and, and giving birth to this beautiful baby and i'm loving that we're having these conversations i'm loving seeing this representation yeah and the thing is too um is that you know it's always been there. It's always happened. It's just that now it's a more accepting place for people to publicly share these things in the queer community, right? Yeah, absolutely. I am very curious to know, um, where did your personal passion for, um, you know, menstruation and reproductive health come from? Yeah, so it kind of started from a young age, not to say that I was young and I was like, I'm going to grow up and talk to people about periods um, because I did not originally start school with that intention. Um, but growing up, I had a stepmom that had my four half siblings at home with a midwife. And so like reproductive anatomy and health, which I was present for, may I say, for the birth, um, you know, it was always something that was really normal to me. And then I kind of grew up and even in college when I was like, 
yeah, like you can have a birth however you want. And like childbirth is really like cool and empowering. And people were like, that sounds disgusting. And I was like, no, no, no. So that's kind of where it all like started from was that I was really lucky to be exposed to like reproductive health as something normal and like a part of life in a natural and non-scary way from being a child. And I really just, you know, want to help people unlearn fears around their bodies and kind of just wanted to empower people. So that's kind of where like everything sparked from and led me down this strange path. Now for the audience, I need you to know that Victoria is very creative. I love seeing their art. Um, uh, first off, talk about a little bit about what kind of art you create, because it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, I with my kind of feminist designs, um, it all actually started from the show Friends, um, from the, the scene in, I'm not even sure what season it is, but where Rachel Green tells off Ross by saying, no uterus, no opinion, um, because he is saying that her, can, her you know, Rax and Hicks contractions can't be that bad. And I heard that and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice because that includes anybody with a uterus. Um, so, you know, my, everything started kind of from that and then I kind of branched off into being like, oh, what are things that I can create and come up with that can just kind of make everyone see it and feel empowered and included in that? Um, so since then, I have a power to the period design for those that are like loud and proud in that. Um, one that I came up with during COVID quarantine, whatever you would like to call it, um, was my support your sisters, not just your sisters, um, being spelled sisters, not like cisgendered sisters, uh, which I have, you know, very well received um, from people just to like outwardly show support for all women out there. Um, but I just like to have fun with words, I think is what it comes down to. I mean, with my name as well, the elephant in the womb, I love a good pun and play on words and then getting to create visuals um, is just a fun part of the process. Love it. Yes. So if you didn't catch that, their Instagram account is at the elephant in the womb. Their website is theelephantinthewomb.com. Is that right? Dot net because dot dot com net. was not available. <laughs> Sad. I hate when that happens, but, but still I'm... very, very good website URL. Um, and, and uh, we kind of already touched on it, but I would love to know like the elephant in the womb the elephant in the room? Like what is the elephant in the womb? I think just in general, I ran with it because I was like, you know, talking about reproductive health from a pro-choice standpoint kind of is the elephant in the room sometimes. It's a topic that not a lot of people like to talk about, even if their, you know, personal views are very pro-choice, um, which again, that goes all encompassing in reproductive health, not just with pregnancy. Um, and I just thought that that was fun because from the get-go, when I created my page, I think five years ago, I was like, I'm going to talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about. I will accept the hate comments that I get and I will deal with that because a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about that, um, but it is important. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to try and have a little platform and use my voice, um, which TikTok has been really great for actually, surprisingly enough. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, you know, what the elephant in the womb is all about and I was like you know putting a good pun on uterus womb with room perfect and I am curious do you enjoy elephants 
You know, I didn't particularly <laughs> before, but now it's kind of the thing. All my friends, if they see something like with elephants at the thrift store, they like buy it for me and drop it off on my porch. So I do have quite a collection of elephant uh, paraphernalia now. <laughs> Love it. Elephants are wonderful. They are smart. They care for each other. I like it for the brand name. That's very fitting, I think. Thank you. Now, something that I've really struggled with in, in uh, fighting period poverty and just fighting the taboo around periods is that there are, there are a lot of different issues that come along with it. Um, so for instance, uh, period poverty affects homeless people. It affects just low income people in general. Um, it affects women in and people with uteruses in prisons. Um, so I'd love to know, what do you believe like the biggest challenges in the world in regards to menstruation are? I think that one of the biggest hurdles is getting people who don't experience period poverty to give a shit. I didn't ask if we're allowed to swear on this, but I did. Oh yeah, you can allow. <laughs> um, but really, I think, you know, it's, the saying out of sight, out of mind is really easy for people to fall into. Um, but like I said, one in three people will experience period poverty at some point in their lives, which is a big number. And ultimately it is the people with privilege that we need to, you know, put their money where their mouth is and use that privilege, whether it be, you know, in our governments or just in our communities as well. Um, one thing that I tell people is if you're in a point of privilege where you could afford every month, say, to buy an extra box of tampons and donate that to your local women's center, LGBT center, homeless center, like do that. It makes a really big difference, you know, on any scale. But I think that is the biggest hurdle is to get people, you know, listening and caring because we can spread as much information as we want to, but really getting through to people um, is what's important, which is definitely a, a challenge. Even just, I know it sounds silly, but getting people to believe it as well. Um, I had an Instagram post a couple months ago about uh, like incarcerated people and periods. And I have never had so much hate and backlash on a post before because people just didn't believe it. Or they thought, well, the you know jail or prison in my area provides one pad a day to people. So it must be fine. And it's like, we're not lying out here. Why would we want to create a worse situation than there is? You know, people do experience menstrual inequity and menstrual injustice in whether it's in prison or in their own homes. Um, and some people just aren't ready to accept that, which is difficult. Mm. Yeah, that is definitely a, a good point. Like once everyone is on board, then we can, you know, we can stop receiving so much uh, backlash and having to convince people that this is, an, this is an actual issue. That's actually a really good point because I, I want to help and, and I feel like I just talk about all of the things and I feel like I never actually do anything. I, I like that you kind of had an, uh, an action step there. Like just even donating once a month is an action step. So that kind of does make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> totally. And even like what I tell people, you know, is sharing the word on social media is so important. But another great thing to do is to look up, you know, what the 
laws and regulations and whatever it might be in your area surrounding menstrual equity is and contact your local government, whether it's your mayor, your, you know, I'm not sure country to country, the correct words, but whether it's Senator, MP, whoever it might be in your government, as it, you know, it goes up the ranks, find their email, find their phone numbers and call them and email them and tell them that you would like to see, you know, free menstrual products in all public buildings or in all schools. Um, because if they're not hearing the demand directly, they're likely not hearing it. Those 50 year old white men that run many of our, you know, Western countries over here, they're not following people like me and you on social media. So they're not hearing a lot of this. So really for free, you can email and call these people and it makes a really big impact by just getting the word into the political system. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I would have been like free menstrual products. Like why free? But um, no, I think free is absolutely the way we need to go because I mean, you go to any public toilet and you get free toilet paper, um, and and this is a basic need. Totally, yeah, it's a human rights issue, really. Absolutely, and one of the things uh, I saw on one of your reels that to illustrate how expensive um, period products are, you put money inside um, some underwear with a pad on it. And I, again, just illustrating your in, in, intense uh, creativity. I loved that. What did you do with those photos? Um, I really kind of just used it for a TikTok and it was very well received there. Um, I never ended up, I don't even think posting the photos on their own because I find that kind of video format is more engaging for people. Um, but I have debated making a follow-up as well, um, just because, you know, I think that like even still that visual is a very privileged standpoint where sure here where I'm located in Southern Canada, you can go and buy a box of pads for, you know, five to $7, but um, like specifically in North America, in Northern regions and in indigenous communities, that same box of pads could be quadruple to six times the price. So I have toyed around with the idea as well of just like throwing some bills in there, like a $20 bill to like really show the comparison that, you know, period products, you know, to some people can be like even more astronomically inaccessible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you should do that a hundred percent. Cause I looked at that and I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's, strong. It was, it was a strong message. One of the things that I have um, also kind of wondered about is, uh, so me and my partner Kishan were in India um, during Christmas in 2019. And one of the things that we did um, was we went to the Mother Teresa Women's Safety Shelter. I can't remember the exact name of it. But um, we dropped off a whole bunch of supplies. And I definitely remember grabbing, I think, some pads and some tampons. And I've, I've wondered if it would be better to give people in specific, probably specifically in Western countries, um, menstrual cups, because, you know, you need so many pads and tampons but there's also this issue if you don't have clean water you can't use your menstrual cup healthily so I, I would just love to know your preference of when you're donating should you donate pads tampons menstrual cups like what what should we do 
Yeah. So the best thing to do is to ask. So whether, you know, it's a community that you're donating to, or if it's a shelter or center, um, to call and ask and say, hey, what is in demand right now? Are you in need of, you know, overnight pads? Are people requesting, say, cloth pads, period underwear, menstrual cups, tampons? Um, oftentimes, at least here in, I can only speak for like Canada, in the north where I donate to, the number one request is pads. Um, and that's because you know, for, for people that might not know, um, Indigenous communities are still treated very poorly here in Canada. I'm not sure if it's the same in um, like the United States, but uh, many Indigenous communities don't have clean water here. Um, so menstrual cups and period underwear aren't a great option for them because it, with inflation on the reserves as well, a case of water, of clean water is like $20. So that the clean water is generally reserved for cooking, personal hygiene, drinking. Um, so they generally are requesting to not have reusable products, um, similar to people experiencing homelessness that might not have the facilities to maintain and clean them. But there are a lot where it is really beneficial, right? So like thinking of high schools um, in like even remote communities where they're happy to do a little training if you send a bunch of cups up and they're happy to, you know, zoom in and like have someone explain to the people how to use a menstrual cup, right? So it's definitely not a write-off and we don't want to presume whether people have the means and education to use these because there's always work around. It's just, you know, depending upon what they're comfortable using. So asking is the best thing you can do. Um, but generally what I would say is if a, you know, wherever you're trying to donate to has not specifically said that they are wanting reusable products to stick with disposables. Wow. Perfect. That's an amazing answer. Like, why wouldn't I have thought to just ask? That's really good advice. It's something simple, but most people don't think to do that. <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about my, uh, my journey with the menstrual cup, because I'm having a really good time with it personally. Um, I bought it maybe two months ago, so I've been able to use it for two cycles. And I... I am really loving it. It was very weird and uncomfortable at first. Um, but a couple of like tips and tricks that I remembered is um, number one, they're in your uterus. Like you can hold a baby, so you can hold a small cup. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then also um, I, I had some trouble folding my menstrual cup at first. So I actually had to like look it up on the internet. I had to type in, uh, my, my brand is Hello Cup and I didn't know if maybe different cups were different. So I like typed in Hello Cup folding method and there it was, uh, a very nice helpful video. Um, so my first question about it, I suppose, is can you fold menstrual cups in any way? Do you, do you recommend like playing with which kind of folding method works best for you? Yeah, so generally any menstrual cup fold will translate cup to cup. Um, there are some cups that are like funny shaped is the way I like to call them, um, where they might be um, more curved and, you know, less bullet shaped like Diva Cup. Um, most like Lunette, Hello Cup, they're all that kind of 
bullet shape as the market calls them, um, which are the easiest to do any fold with. And it is helpful to try different folds. Um, so for anyone listening, you can just Google like general menstrual cup folds. Um, I have a couple of reels that visibly show, I think I've probably got up to like 10 different folds. And it is beneficial too, because the way that you fold it will depend how it opens up inside of you. And that's kind of the hardest part, inserting and removal um, for some people, but getting a good seal so it doesn't leak, right? So say you kind of flatten it and fold it in half and insert it, and maybe you're like, ah, uh, I don't think it's popping open. It's not like sliding in right. It feels too big. Switching to something like what's called the seven fold, where it creates a smaller point of entry, you might try that and be like, oh, it goes in easily. It's way more comfortable because it's just opening up from a different angle. So definitely you can generally do any fold with any cup and it is good to play around uh, because you might find a fold that works best for you and you get no leaks and you're comfortable and you can pee with it in and everything's a great time. So experimenting is wonderful. And I also learned from you that those there's little holes that you have to keep clean at the top of the menstrual cup, which helps with suction. I didn't even notice little holes. <laughs> Yeah, they're so tiny on some cups, the little airflow holes. But yeah, those are really important for getting a good seal in there. But sometimes our menstrual blood can like dry up and coagulate in there. So when you clean it, like a little safety pin or toothpick to poke through it and just make sure it's clear will make things go smoother. <laughs> Absolutely. I love using the menstrual cup because it's gotten me a lot more comfortable with my body and my cycle. So I notice now that uh, my period is heaviest in the first two days and then the last couple days are like very light. And um, I noticed that you tried on some like, you did like an ad for some period underwear. I was like, mm, I think that mm -hmm. sounds perfect. I want to try that maybe for the last couple days of my period. I'm very, I, I like the idea of free bleeding because I like the idea of not having anything in my body and just letting my body do its thing. Do you have any suggestions for people who are like really scared of menstrual cups and or very scared of maybe free bleeding? Like they're two kind of new ideas on the market, I suppose. Yeah, um, getting comfortable with your body is definitely something that's really beneficial and important both for your self, you know, love and self-acceptance journey, but also for your health, those that track their periods, uh, whether it's an app or pen and paper, being able to track the amount of blood, the color, consistency, smell is really important because then you're more able to notice differences, um, which could be helpful for if any health issues arise in the future. Um, but it is a sometimes uncomfortable learning curve for people, um, especially when it comes to menstrual cups, right? The, I think generally most people have like kind of a, not necessarily horror story, but anxiety inducing experience once or twice with their cup. Um, when I first learned how to use a cup, I should have gone into the shower. May I recommend anyone learning to use a menstrual cup, take it out in the shower the first time. Um, and it just came out with too much force. And there was the contents all over myself, the toilet, the bathroom floor, um, some, the bathroom door. Sometimes it still gets on the door. I don't know how it happens. <laughs> um, it has a mind of its own. But at first that can be very uncomfortable. So um, the shower is a great place to maybe comfortably get familiar with dealing with your menstrual blood if you're using reusable products. Um, but if you're looking for something that's a little bit 
lower um, maintenance when it comes to reusable products, you could try and find period underwear or cloth pads that are machine washable. Generally, it's still good with like external reusable products to rinse them under cold water and squeeze out some of the fluid. Um, but there are some brands that will offer like machine washable. You don't have to deal with your fluid as much um, because for some people it's just not realistic that they're ever going to be comfortable dealing with menstrual blood, whether it be, you know, history of like miscarriage, um, any kind of sexual trauma, gender dysphoria, etc. So there are definitely products that could minimize that with being machine washable. Uh, but for people that are interested in getting comfortable, go in the shower. It's a great place to practice, get the hang of reusable products and have quick, easy cleanup. <laughs> Wow. Love that. That's a great tip as well. Did you, were you always comfortable with your period or was that something that you kind of had to like get used to, I suppose? It was definitely something I had to get used to a little bit. I think that I came from a pretty um, privileged and lucky place where my mom was always very open about her periods and um, ended up having a hysterectomy because her periods were so heavy and painful, which looking back, I'm like most likely undiagnosed endometriosis, which is very underdiagnosed in people. Um, but she was really awesome that as soon as I got my period in like, I think seventh grade, she was like, you know what, if you're feeling nauseous and you're in a lot of pain, stay home. Like it's okay. You, like you got to take care of yourself. And um, when I first learned to use a tampon, she like came in the bathroom with me and this was after her hysterectomy, she didn't get periods anymore. And she was like, this is what you got to do. I was like behind the shower curtain crying, being like, I can't find my vagina. Yeah, and yeah. she was like, through it. So I think that I came from a like really lucky place where there wasn't a lot of taboo around it for me, um, but still generally faced the typical high school thing of, you know, hiding the tampon up your sleeve and, you know, the social taboos of embarrassment around periods of, you know, we shouldn't talk about it in front of people without periods. And uh, yeah, but it, it really wasn't ever something um, traumatic for me, which I feel very lucky for. But uh, I've definitely, you know, seen a lot of people, especially in my work as an educator, who start out from a place where they're like, yeah, no, I straight up think this is disgusting. And I just want to get to a point of feeling neutral with my body, which is a totally good goal to have as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first had my period, I, uh, my mom gave me, uh, what are they called? Digital tampons, which are literally just the tampons without the applicator. Right. And I was struggling so badly. I was, I just, I didn't feel comfortable with my body. And so I wasn't able to insert them properly. And yeah, it was my um, aunt. I'm so happy that I came from a really open family about that as well. Um, and my aunt was mm -hmm. all like, you know what? You give her, give her an applicator. <laughs> and so <Yeah. laughs> that really helped a lot. That also showed how like with menstrual cups as well, that as adults, we might feel like, oh, menstrual cups seem so overwhelming and like, oh, it's so difficult. And it's like, if we think back to learning to use a tampon, like that was scary as hell at the time too. So you got to be patient with yourself. It's new territory. <laughs> yes. Now, I also wanted to mention that people might be afraid of menstrual cups being quote unquote stuck in their uterus, which is, I, 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 from what I can tell, that's not a thing you have to be worried about. No. So I, I'm not going to pull out my model. I do have a model, but uh, I will... I will try and verbally explain by with our vagina, 
it ends at the cervix. Nothing's going up through the cervix into the uterus. Everything stays contained within the vagina. Um, if, you know, the menstrual cup, it, it's not, it might migrate up a bit, right? So if you have a cup in, you might go to remove it and be like, I can't feel the tail. It has disappeared and got lost. It has not gotten lost, I promise. Um, if your cervix were to open up and suck it up into your uterus, it would hurt like childbirth. Um, in childbirth when you have contractions and your cervix is dilating to open up that channel between the vagina and the uterus. It's very, very painful. So I promise your body has not gotten it lost um, or it's not, you know, stuck in the abyss. Um, and when it does feel lost or like it's not moving, um, panic starts to set in and that panic further clenches our pelvic floor muscles and gets it more stuck feeling. So it is definitely an anxious time, um, but it's important in those moments to call your friend for a little pep talk to remind you that you need to relax, go into a sumo squat, deep breaths, relax your muscles, pretend like you're taking a poop and you will birth that cup out. It will come out. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going to share a very embarrassing story to make sure that all of the listeners that if they want to try the menstrual cup, they absolutely will. Um, so back in high school, um, I was still very, very uncomfortable with my body, but uh, I was I wanted to experiment with what kind of birth control was right for me. And at this current moment, I don't like using birth control, but definitely um, during high school and college, I was all for it. Um, and so I was using the Nuva ring, which is just a circular ring with hormones on it that you insert. Um, I think you insert it for, th I can't remember how you use it exactly, but you have to take it out to have a cycle and then you put it back in, I believe is how you used it. Um, but because I was so uncomfortable with my body, at one point I had inserted it and I couldn't find it and I started freaking out. I actually had to call the doctor, make an appointment and have my doctor help me remove my Nuva ring. And it was so easy for her. She was just like, she, she just scooped it out real fast, but that is what made me realize that I need to not be so uh, scared about putting totally. Nuva ring inside or, or menstrual cup inside. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too might be listening and be like, you know, I don't know how much room is in there. Like, where is my cervix? How high could it go? you can go and find out how high your cervix is, um, which actually, interesting enough, the height of your cervix can change throughout the menstrual cycle, depending what phase you're in, um, as hormones change the uh, length and width of things in the vagina. Um, but yeah, even if you don't have a cup or ring or something in, uh, self-exploration to see what you're working with, with real estate in there is definitely helpful so that you kind of know if you can't find your cup, like, oh, well, it can only be so high up in there. Absolutely. And, and, uh, I mean, do you have any, ex uh, do you have any tips for people who want to explore, but are really afraid? Some, one of the tips that helped me was like, clip your fingernails so you don't have to worry about like scratching yourself or do you have any tips like that? Yeah, clipping your fingernails is definitely a good tip, but really just kind of being patient with yourself and not 
pushing yourself, right? Um, so, you know, definitely not pushing yourself on a day where you're feeling stressed or you're like, I need to just do this. Um, some people find doing like a little couple minute guided meditation or diaphragmatic breathing. For some people, it might be laying in bed. For some people, it might be going in the shower, just finding kind of what's comfortable for you. And, you know, even if one day you like, eh, kind of just insert a little bit of your finger or, you know, maybe you're doing like a little cervical fluid check of what's going on with your discharge that day and kind of going from there, but not putting a timeline on it, not being like, I'm going to be comfortable exploring my body in two weeks. Um, you know, it might take two weeks, it might take two months, it might take two years and everyone's journey is going to look different and just taking the pressure off yourself because the more stress and anxiety and pressure you put on yourself, the longer it's going to take you. Absolutely. All right. So I'm very curious to hear what you have to say for this next question. Um, my friend, Nadia Okamoto, she is very heavily invested into um, breaking just menstruation taboos, right? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that she does for her brand, It's August, is she shows menstrual blood online. And a lot of people are very, like, get very upset about it. And they have, um, they definitely do utilize like trigger warnings because blood, as you had mentioned earlier, can be triggering. Um, but uh, I love that she shows menstrual blood. And I actually have started doing it on my own uh, channels as well. Um, because I don't think that we, if we're going to be starting to make uh, legislation around, um, you know, anything like that. We have to, we have to be comfortable with what's coming out, you know? So what is your perspective on showing menstrual blood specifically online? I think it's super important. And something that I say a lot is we don't bleed blue. Uh, you know, a lot of pad commercials will show like that mysterious blue liquid that they pour onto the pad. And it's like, we don't do this on shows with blood from other areas, right? Like in a show, if a kid gets a nosebleed, they're not dubbing in like blue Gatorade into the Kleenex. And I think that um, deep rooted in the patriarchal patriarchal system, there has been like hypersexualization of the vagina. And I think, again, this is totally my personal opinion, but I think a lot of that comes from, you know, let's not make the men uncomfortable by showing menstrual blood. We want to keep an image of what comes out of a vagina, which is bullshit. Um, so I think it's really awesome to see, uh, you know, influencers and companies and people in the period world starting to show actual blood or at the very least red liquid when they are demonstrating these products because that's what we're going to see and that's the reality of it and you know like I said in tv and movies they show blood from a stab wound or a bloody nose or you know dental surgery or whatever it might be so why are they so hesitant to show menstrual blood um so yeah I think it's really awesome to see and uh, so far in, you know, the period world, I've only seen kind of independent small brands showing actual blood, uh, which is amazing. And they're always the ones keeping it real. But hopefully one day as well, the big tampon, as I call it, you know, always Tampax will kind of follow suit and bring awareness to that on TV. I think that would be really awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
in Nadia's book, she actually mentions that as early as, I think she said 2017, um, there was a period commercial that had to be re recorded because they had used the word period i believe is what it was so it's so crazy that we're still dealing with people being uncomfortable with the word period totally yeah i um yeah and i again a lot of it starts as well in health class and in schools and the poor education that both people with and without uteruses get surrounding menstrual blood um there's a lot of censorship online as well. I know a couple of period companies I work with that have had to get special permission to advertise with the word vagina um, in regards to periods because that's not allowed. Um, I had a Instagram video that was like kind of getting taken down and then I would appeal and it would get put back up where I was showing diluted period blood um, that I water my plants with. This probably sounds nuts to people that have no idea what I'm talking about, um, which is very beneficial for your plants. Uh, but because I was showing in a clear mason jar diluted period blood with water, as you know, all these like young boys were reporting it and commenting like just horrible misogynistic, like immature things. And, you know, I think some people's first response might be like, oh, that's so annoying. I'm like, these are kids. Like, it's not, you know, they have not had the proper education and information that period blood isn't gross. It's not different from the other blood in our system. Um, but yeah, there, there's so much like censorship and taboo around period blood. And um, yeah, I think a lot of us, I'm sure your friend as well, like has experienced that pushback around it where it's like, why is this like such a big deal when it's not a big deal if it's like I said, a bloody nose or something? hundred percent. I, I'm so happy by the way, that you water your plants with period blood because that's something I'm very curious about. And if I was to do it, I probably wouldn't have diluted it. I didn't know you needed to dilute it. Tell me a little bit about plants and, and menstrual yes. blood. <laughs> so May I preface this by saying you want to make sure your menstrual blood is having a normal cycle before you start fertilizing your plants with it. If you've got a yeast infection or something, um, do not use. But if you're having a normal cycle, you can take some of your menstrual blood, you know, whether if you're using a cup, that's kind of the easiest way, a menstrual cup to dump some in. Um, or if you wring out period underwear or a cloth pad, you can't really do it if you're using disposable products, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, you can dilute some into water. So generally, I would say, you know, like a teaspoon or whatever you've got in with like a mason jar or a liter of water um, and use that to fertilize your plants once a month. And it has, our, our menstrual blood has um, these wonderful nutrients in them that are similar to what's in a lot of plant fertilizers. And I have revived many a plant. We can see this one back here uh, for the any visuals is thriving um, with my, you know, free fertilizer from my period, uh, which again, it might sound really strange and uncomfortable to people. Um, but like I said, it's got a lot of nutrients that are in fertilizers that you can buy at the store. And I think it's a really nice connecting activity to do where you kind of get to give back to the earth and plants and um, just don't put it in plants you're gonna eat like vegetables, just stick to house plants or flowers, but not the edibles. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so good. I, I was thinking about doing that 
one of the reasons why I really liked having a menstrual cup is because I would be able to obtain period blood to give to my plants. But I, I, I was just kind of like going to experiment because what I've seen online, it kind of made me feel like it wasn't rooted in science. So I'm loving that an educated person is telling me this. I love that. Yeah. And one thing that I think is really important to note when it comes to a lot of stuff that is more, um, you know, alternative or holistic per se, is that a lot of people will be like, well, we don't know. There's no proof. And the issue is that reproductive health and periods are so underfunded in research anything to do with people with the uterus generally is underfunded in research as research is predominantly funded and run by cisgender men without a uterus. So at the end of the day, it's kind of like, well, we just don't have the data. It's not data saying that this isn't effective or this isn't working. We just don't have data in general to necessarily scientifically show that this definitely works. So I think a lot of the times um, in anything related to periods and reproductive health, it's really important to take lived in experiences as, you know, a, a credible source as well, um, because a lot of the times that's all we have to go off of. And I mean, worst case scenario, you kill a plant. <laughs> right, right. I'm curious to know when it comes to birth control, I really dislike what it does to my body. For instance, I've done um, the Depovera shot where you get a shot every three months and you just never have a period. And I gained so much weight and that, that in and of itself is fine, but it just, it made my body feel bad, like very lethargic and, and slow. And I just, I, I didn't feel comfortable. And I was wondering if we were better funding anything to do with uh, people with uteruses health, do you think that we would have more birth control options for men? I think that it doesn't so much have to do with the funding as it does with the history that we have of, I don't wanna say complacency necessarily, um, but until like very recent times, there hasn't been a ton of push for birth control for men, right? I think in the last 10 years, there's, you know, we'll hear of a study that's like, oh, we're testing a birth control for men. And they didn't like the side effects of feeling a little moody. And we're like, come on, we've been living with this. Um, and that whole point being that, you know, as people with uteruses for so long since the creation of birth control, which I guess wasn't really that long ago in like the 60s um, for hormonal birth control, I should say. Uh, it's always kind of been on us as the person with the uterus. And so I, I think a lot of that is not even so much based on the, the research, but just based on like societal norms and patriarchal standards where now people are starting to raise their voices. And I think if anything, that would potentially lead to um, more options in the opposite, you know, stand of, you know, people without the uterus maybe having the options to take birth control. Um, but that's definitely a tricky one. Like I said, there has been some testing and studies done on options, uh, but it's the like small side effects that are nothing compared to like what you said, you, you know, had that reaction to the depot shot where, you know, these studies are just being shut down for birth control for men because they cannot handle the slightest side effect, which again comes kind of back to like societal norms more than anything, which is yeah. frustrating. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and going back to the whole moodiness of, of being on a period, I feel like I'm finally in a place in my life where I can kind of slow down and feel how my body is. I, um, I'm a YouTuber, so I can kind of create my own schedule and things like that. And so now I'm realizing that my period is a lot more specifically on the first two days. Uh, it's it's it makes me very emotional and and anxious and just yeah there's a lot of big feelings that come with my first uh couple days of my period and uh my partner Kishan he asked like you've had your period since you were what 15 years old like why haven't you gotten this down yet and I was thinking about it and uh when I was 15, I was, I, I would get up, I would go to school, I would go to basketball practice, I would do my homework, eat dinner, go to bed, do it all over again. And in university, it was pretty much the same schedule. Um, even shortly after university, uh, before my business took off, um, it was uh, get up, go to work, work super hard. So I feel like I'm just finally being able to, to feel my period and what my body is saying to me now. Mm-hmm. but uh it also makes me wonder like maybe with age has it, has it gotten worse or or i don't know do you think that if we were to slow down and listen to our bodies we would find more up more about our ourselves or i don't know do you have anything to say about that yeah i well first of all i want to say that we are cyclical beings which i think somebody without a menstrual cycle can't really can't empathize with or understand. Um, so it's funny to me how, you know, you're saying like your partner's like, oh, aren't you kind of used to this by now? And it's like, at the end of the day, you know, every single month is different. Every period, every menstrual cycle is different. And we're meant to feel different every single day. And then external forces play into that too, right? Our sleep schedule, stress, what's going on in our lives will affect our reproductive hormones, which then affect our mood hormones as well. So it's one of those things where, you know, we're never meant to feel the same every day, unless you're on a very strong birth control, which is suppressing your menstrual cycle. Um, But I think that with age and with time, you know, not even necessarily related to the menstrual cycle, but as we grow and kind of learn to feel into how we're feeling and treating our body hopefully better with age, we kind of just feel our feelings a lot more and can recognize them more, right? Like you said in school, when you're like, okay, um, can't really deal with my period and my PMS right now. I'm just gonna um, go to basketball practice, go to school, go to my office school job, get my homework done, go to bed, and then like take enough naproxen and mitol or whatever to suppress it. And then we will deal with the next day. Um, So I think a lot of people might just kind of live in that rhythm of being like, I'm not going to deal with it. Um, And then, you know, hopefully like you have experienced and a lot of people were with age, you get to a point where you're like, no, I think I'm like feeling things now. Um, I think it's just something that comes with time, which I think is a good thing if we're starting to realize, you know, and recognize when we're feeling heightened with our, you know, emotions and also beneficial because there are certain um, psychological conditions with periods um, like PMDD, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, where some people might have very extreme mental health disturbances around their period where, you know, unless you're recognizing that 
you're never going to get help for it. And there is help for people that experience really extreme um, mood disturbances with PMS. So I think it's one of those things where being in tune with your feelings is kind of like a superpower and not something bad and just learning how to like manage that and process it. And like you said, like slowing down is the best thing you can do. I know it's not possible for everyone. Um, and I make my own schedule as well being self-employed. Uh, so I'm like, we are really lucky where if we know we're going to like have a really rough first couple days of our cycle, we can probably just schedule less for those days. But for, you know, people that might be in like a nine to five, take a day off, like call in sick if you need to. You wouldn't beat yourself up if you took a day off because you were having like a really bad day feeling fluish or food poisoning and our periods are out of our control as well. And so if you need to take a day off or, you know, if you've got kids, call a babysitter so that you can have some alone time, like that's a great thing to do for yourself and to listen to your body and again, like embrace that kind of cyclical being that we are rather than suppressing it, which is what and patriarchal society has wanted us to do for so long. Absolutely. I'm curious also about, do you go for the sweet, salty, yummy foods? Or should you like do nutrient-dense salads and things like that on your period? So I don't like to should anyone with what's best. Um, Personally, I'm a big advocate for eat whatever you want to eat. I love to get cake, like a whole ass cake for the week of my period. Um, I eat whatever I want to. I think restrictive eating in general is very dangerous. Um, but of course, you can, if you know people, some people are really interested in like cycle syncing and syncing up optimized exercise and nutrition and syncing their cycle with their business life, which uh, I could do a whole hour talking just about that. But um, there's definitely ways where you can eat in tune with optimizing your hormones. Um, but I, at the end of the day, if you want to have a tub of ice cream, have a tub of ice cream. I love it. I love it. One of the reasons I ask is because the other day I was so... Mm, craving just like brownie with a big old scoop of ice cream and I went all out I got some like chocolate chips I got some sprinkles I made uh, it, it was beautiful and delicious and I loved it um, and uh, it didn't make my period feel any better but it made me feel better <laughs> totally that's one thing um to uh, again, I have no limits on what's TMI for myself, but um, when it comes to like period poops, which most of us have experienced, but don't necessarily talk about, uh, some of those PMS cravings definitely contribute to our bowel movements and GI upset. So it is one of those like, hmm, is it going to be worth it for my mental sanity? Is it okay to sacrifice an upset stomach the next day? Love it. Love it. I, I, yeah, we, I love the no TMI. I, yep. I, Chanel Peterson, sometimes have period poops. I will claim it. <laughs> We've all been there. Um, I guess I should have asked you in the beginning, what is your background? How did you become so knowledgeable? So there's not a program straight out that says, you know, this is the program to be a, you know, period coach. Um, everyone's route is very different. I would say a lot of people in the period world come from a nutritionist 
background. There's a lot of, you know, period educators or coaches that are nutritionists and specifically deal with the food side of things. Um, I came from more of a science and education background. So I actually started out um, in school, like I said, in science, and I'm also a registered massage therapist. So it was years in school of, like I said, learning anatomy, physiology, pathology, um, before I kind of honed in on reproductive health. And then I took a certification to be a childbirth and reproductive health educator. So it was a really awesome, I'm not going to name the school because it's not an awesome inclusive school, uh, which was my issue with it. Um, but I came from one to be like, you know why I want to give unbiased information and get to tell people how fertility works, how their cycle works, birth control options, whether it's medicated or unmedicated. And we wanted to be able to give people that information that a lot of us feel we, you know, are rushed through at the doctors um, or never got in health class. So I really came from an education educator standpoint really with everything um, and then further brand into random courses here and there for you know I've taken some courses on like the spiritual side of menstruation as well for um, clients that are specifically interested in that but yeah, I guess something else I didn't mention was online. I provide a lot of free information through Instagram and TikTok, but I also do take on one-on-one -on -one clients who specifically want to learn like what's potentially best for their body or what their options are just to learn as well. So anyways, yeah, I guess in short, I'm an educator and um, I don't think there's a lot of us out there that come from an education standpoint. So it's really fun in the period world to have all these different, you know, education backgrounds and uh yeah that's kind of where I came from yeah that's so cool I think it's especially cool that you have a little bit of knowledge about like the spiritual side of the period mm -hmm. I would I would definitely maybe a conversation for another time that sounds like some right up my alley <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, now, I would love to close with um, how can we support you? And this is the time for you to um, plug paid offers, plug social media accounts, plug whatever is important to you. Awesome. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at the elephant in the womb and you can find me on TikTok at Vic sauce, um, created TikTok before I knew I was going to use it for menstrual work. So it does not fit the uh, username, but that's where you can find me online and the elephant in the And through all of those, you can find my links, which bring up my clothing line where, like I said, for every item purchased, a box of period products is donated specifically to Moontime Sisters, which provides indigenous communities of Northern Canada with period products and I make pronoun necklaces, all kinds of queer things. And uh, my website has more information on one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. But like I said, I really think that reproductive education should be accessible. So I post a ton of free stuff on Instagram, on my story highlights and on TikTok. And I'm always happy to answer questions or guide people to resources in my DMs as well. Love it, love it. Thanks so much for being with us, Victoria. Yeah, thank you. Everyone, did you know that Victoria has donated over 5,000 pads and tampons to the Indigenous communities of Northern Canada? That is wild. That is an insanely large number and so, so needed. Definitely check out theelephantinthewomb.net, buy Victoria's clothing. I personally love the t-shirt that says all chests are good chests and it has illustrations of all the different kind of breasts on it. Kind of um, 
leading us away from thinking that there's only one perky, perfect circular kind of breast that is the right kind of breast. I also really love the one that Victoria mentioned um, that says support your sisters, not just your sisters, like cisgender sisters. Um, yeah. I cannot tell you how much I love Victoria and how much I love the elephant in the womb. I think they stand for everything that I personally believe in, and you should definitely support them. And if this episode served you, be sure to DM me on my solo account at Chanel Peterson Official on Instagram, or you could reach out to me at Empress Podcast Official. That's the podcast's uh, social media account. I love you guys so incredibly much. And until next time, keep on being the change that you wish to see in the world.